for a church that is diverse in so many ways. Uh, we live in a time where uh, people are trying to shove a racism-laced mentality on us. It's all over the media. It's all over the world. Uh, but here at White Oak Baptist Church, we all know that Jesus loves us. It doesn't matter what color we are or what our background is. Jesus loves us all the same, and we, uh, we can fellowship in that manner, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful we can come to a place where we all gather under one roof and worship a God who does not look uh, at us based on the color of our skin. He looks at us as at the condition of our soul, and we, uh, we know that we can come here together. So praise the Lord for that, and uh, thank you for making White Oak Baptist Church part of your uh, part of your life. Matthew 1, once you found that, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Jared, if you could give me my uh, lapel, that would be great. Matthew 1, let's read from verse 18 down through verse number 25. And we will read these verses responsively. I'll begin in verse 18. I will read the even-numbered verses together, and then we will read the uh, the numbered odd-numbered verses uh, together out loud as a congregation. I'll begin in verse 18. And we'll begin together in verse 19. The Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph... Thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not. And he called his name Jesus. The title of the message this morning is simply this, Four Responses to the Christmas Story. Four Responses to the Christmas Story. Let's pray. Lord, help us as we dive into the Christmas story, and Lord, make some things from it practical to our lives. And Lord, it's a story I believe everyone here knows well, but Lord, some truths that maybe we need to be reminded of and refreshed on. And Lord, we do pray if there's someone here today that has not yet put their faith and trust in you and in you alone for salvation, that today they would do that. And so, Lord, as you were born some many years ago, thousands of years ago, uh, Lord, uh, through your birth and death and resurrection, some here could be born anew, uh, born again in Christ, become a new creature uh, here on this uh, time of uh, celebration. We thank you for giving us this church. We thank you for bringing us all here together under one roof. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Christmas is Tuesday. Some of you need a paper bag to blow into, right? Got a little more to do to get ready for it. Um, what's the song that comes on the radio this time of year? I think it goes something like, it's the most wonderful time of the year, right? I think you could uh, make a case for that. Uh, how many of you here really, really enjoy all of the, the everything when it comes to Christmas? You just really, the, the lights, the, the songs, the candy canes, the hot cocoa, the presents, the tree, you just really enjoy all that stuff, okay? Some people are more enjoy, enjoy that than others, but I, I think you could definitely have rewritten the song to read this. It's the most stressful time of the year. Is it not? Um, how many of you here have established Christmas traditions that you do as a family? Anybody here have your Christmas traditions? Sometimes they get a little overboard, you know, you, you go too far. Or your kids grow up and then you keep making them try to do it and they're not little anymore and they kind of roll your eyes at you like, come on, we still have to do that. Uh, but you got those Christmas traditions. We're, we're trying to get those up and going uh, in our home. Uh, we got some of the basic ones like 
you know, we set the tree up and decorate it together. And we've had this ongoing uh, feud in our home. Uh, we would decorate it, and then Angela would come around and redecorate it, you know. And she said this year, she said, I will help decorate, but I am not rearranging a single ornament. And if our tree looks terrible, it just looks terrible. And I said, it'll be ours. It'll be great. So, uh, but we, we've got that one down. Um, uh, I'm a big fan of drinking eggnog at Christmas time. Uh, and I don't know if that's a Christmas tradition or not, but if I claim that it is, then I have a right to drink it. So uh, how many of you here hate eggnog? Anybody hate eggnog? How many here just love eggnog? Okay, make sure you drink the Christian version. Amen? Keep it Christian. Um, um, two years ago in Seymour, down uh, near the courthouse, they have a, a community Christmas tree, and they have Santa come, and then they light the tree. And we didn't know everything entailed, but we went... And then um, we walked around and looked at the shops, and they had some old carolers standing on the steps uh, out in front of the, uh, I think it's the Anglican church or the Evangel- uh, some church, some Lutheran church or something. And, and they're singing Christmas carols. And then after that, we, we went and got pizza together. And I said, this needs to be a Christmas tradition. Well, we got to the, the day they were doing it this year. and We just had too much on the schedule, so uh, that didn't quite work. But Christmas traditions are great. There are things we make family memories around. Christmas is a time where we participate in work parties, in church functions. There are family get-togethers. And then if you have your kids in some sort of a private or Christian school, then there's going to be Christmas, some sort of Christmas school drama or sing-along or something you got to go to. And you find yourself bouncing from one event to the other. And it can go from being the most wonderful time of the year to being the most stressful time of the year. And by the time Christmas is over, you're just, uh, you're just exhausted. My kids asked me, and they said, what time are we allowed to wake you up on Christmas morning? And I said to them, well, because I've got to let Santa in the door at 2 a.m., um, you can't get us up until 10 in the morning. And, and they said, nah. And I said, no, I'm serious. 10 in the morning. So shh, don't tell them. As of right now, they really think they can't get us up till 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, but uh, it, uh, it's busy, it's stressful, and you get through all that, and you, you're, you're, you can be glad when it comes, but you're definitely glad when it's all over. Now, uh, have you noticed that the culture at large now says, Happy Holidays? Have you noticed that? Does that bother anybody? Okay, it used to bother me a lot more than it does now. All right, and I'm not getting soft. Um, here's why I decided to not let it bother me so much. Let's just be honest about the culture. Most people don't actually celebrate a pure form of Christmas. What they're celebrating is Christmas loosely. They're celebrating commercialism. They're celebrating candy canes and lights and the exchanging of gifts. But they're not really celebrating the birth of our Savior, right? And... And to me, if you're going to tell someone Merry Christmas, I would like you to actually mean it, right? And so I think those words uh, ought to be shared between Christians and those that are sincere about it and those that mean it. For most people that say Happy Holidays, they're throwing around a loose term because they loosely celebrate it. When I was a little boy, we were going to my grandmother's house for Christmas, and she wasn't a Christian at all. And she'd go all out, decorate the tree, and have all the, the everything everywhere. I've got some siblings in the room today. They know what I'm talking about. I remember one day we were walking up to my grandmother's house. We made the three-hour drive over there. And I said to my dad, up to the door, I said, If Grandma doesn't believe in Jesus, then why does she celebrate Christmas? I must have been like eight or nine years old. And my dad didn't answer my question. You know how it is when you have a child ask you a question you don't want to answer or you don't know the answer to? You just get quiet and hope they forget? Well, I persisted. I just kept going. Why does... And he said, that's a good question, Richard. I don't know the answer to your question. And I thought, well, you know what? That is a good question. Um, I'm smart. I'm only eight, but I'm smart. Um, uh, Merry Christmas is a special term, and I, I'm glad to share it with you all. With that said, 
Merry Christmas, White Oak Baptist Church. Where did the Christmas story begin? Did it come about from a saint in Europe named Nicholas? Was it invented by the stores so they could make money? Or was it brought about so that Bing Crosby, Gene Autry, and Nat King Cole could, could have a lasting legacy? Um, no, Christmas did not begin, or we don't have Christmas for those reasons. We have Christmas because it, it represents the birth of the God child here on earth. This morning, I believe that people respond to the birth of Christ the same way now that they did back then on that first Christmas. Um, some are flat out too busy to really care about the real meaning of Christmas. Others hate Jesus and they want to destroy the entire idea of celebrating Him. Others just shrug their shoulders and, and they just really don't care. God wants His creation to worship Him the way the shepherds did. Uh, you see, they were told about the birth because, the shepherds were told about the birth because they lived humble lives. And they were told about the birth because the angels knew that upon hearing about the birth of Jesus, they would actually get up and go do something with it. They would go and worship uh, the King of Kings birthed on earth in the form of a baby. And I'd like for us to go back this morning to that first Christmas morning and see how the various people of that time responded to the birth of heaven's king and see how that those same responses that happened back then categorically are still happening today. Let's jump right in and look at these four responses. Response number one, if you're taking notes, most missed out because of activity. Most missed out because of activity. You're in Matthew 1, right? If you hold your place in Matthew, you're going to bounce back and forth between Matthew 2 and Luke 2. We read about uh, the angel coming to Mary, and we talked about how uh, the, uh, uh, Jesus was placed in, the, in, in Mary's womb by the Holy Ghost, and, uh, and, and we read about that uh, earlier. That was kind of the introduction of the passage here. Uh, Mary is expecting, and she's going to go and have this baby, and to fulfill prophecy, she needs to have it in, a t- in the town of Bethlehem. But they didn't live in Bethlehem. They lived in, in Nazareth of Galilee. Now, look with me at verse number 1 of Luke chapter 2. The Bible says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, that's the region he lived in, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, that's the region he went to, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Why? Why did he go there? To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished, that she should be delivered, or she reached her delivery date, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, can you imagine what that must have been like? We complain about paying taxes now, right? Uh, If you strike up a conversation with any Connecticut resident... You talk to them for more than 20 minutes. You got about a 70% chance that taxes are going to come up, right? Um, I, I have been testing this, and it's true. We complain about our taxes, and they're high in Connecticut. I don't know if they're the highest in, of all the states, but they're way up there, right? And we pay a lot in taxes here. Imagine if you had to travel to to, to um, St. Monica, California, every year and pay all your taxes at once. And you didn't just get to pay it a little at a time or pay it, you know, when you bought a, a gallon of milk or whatever, however they charge taxes around here, pay it with your, uh, with, with your uh, mortgage. What if you had to collect it all and save it and then make a trip 
to pay it every year. Boy, that would make it even worse. Imagine that news coming down. We're changing the way we collect taxes. You've got to be responsible enough to save it all. And then you've got to make a trip to the other side of the country and you've got to pay it there. Well, that's what they were facing. And on top of that, they were already paying taxes. And Caesar Augustus just decides, hey, let's have them pay it other tax, and let's have them uh, uh, go all the way to their uh, town of their birth, uh, and let's have them pay it there. Now, uh, King David was from Bethlehem, and both Mary and Joseph were descendants of the Davidic line, so back to Bethlehem they traveled. Now, know this about Bethlehem, everybody knew of it, because David was from there, but there really was no reason to visit it. So uh, it was a small town. It, it, didn't, uh, uh, it didn't have a lot of accommodations for large crowds. And uh, it wasn't a town that people frequented uh, regularly. So they, I imagine that Mary and Joseph must have left in plenty of time. But if you've ever been on a trip with a pregnant woman, you know that you can leave as early as you want. You're going to get there late. Right? How many times we got to stop for you to go to the bathroom? And they say, oh, the baby's elbowing me right in the bladder. And uh, don't roll your eyes, man. That'll get you in trouble. Uh, but uh, uh, but, but you got to stop and make lots of stops. But it wasn't they were traveling down the road in some comfortable car or modern transportation. No, Mary, uh, a pregnant, very pregnant, third trimester pregnant, had to get on the back of a donkey and ride down a dirt road from Galilee, Nazareth of Galilee, all the way to Bethlehem, Judea. And upon their arrival, while they may have left in plenty of time, they got there and it, they were late. It was full. Uh, every inn was full. Now, uh, they uh, went around to the various uh, inns or hotels there in Bethlehem, and there was no place for them to stay. I imagine they opened the door, and cots and mats had been, even been laid out there in the common area, and they were making places for people to sleep. The town was not built for this type of thing, and every bed was full. I'm sure that if they had an Airbnb set up, all of the houses were rented out. It was There was no place... For anybody to stay, and I got to tell you this morning that everybody was busy, and everybody was busy doing things that to them was important. Now, what were they doing? Why was the town so full? Well, it was full because responsible citizens were there to pay their taxes. Is that a bad thing? I'd say that's not a bad thing. Husbands had planned their trip to get there in time to reserve their room so that their wife and children could have a place to stay. Is that a bad thing? I'd say no. That's a good thing. They were busy. Uh, I would even say that the intakers were reasonable in turning Mary and Joseph away. Now, a lot of shade gets thrown on the innkeepers and how can you turn a pregnant woman out in the cold and, and not give them a place to stay. And I understand all that, but... That's a tough spot to be in. You've got a hotel full of people who have paid you to be there. Are you going to go grab one of them by the ear and throw them out so this lady has a place to stay? I think you can understand why someone would do that. And I think you can understand why somebody wouldn't do that. Here Joseph and Mary are, and they have nowhere to stay. Here's what I'm going to tell you this morning. A lot of people miss out on Jesus. And it isn't because they're living their life and wasting their time. It's because they're busy doing things that a responsible person would do. However, while they're busy doing that which is responsible, they miss out on the most important event of their life. And that's getting to know Jesus. Do you know there are people today that are moving around town and they live, they're living morally good lives and they're busy doing good, but they're not doing the best thing. They're not giving their time to Jesus. And Jesus was born that first Christmas in a barn. I got to thinking about this this week as I was putting this message together. Why would an inn, a hotel or an inn, have a barn? Why would they own a barn? And, and here's the thought that dawned on me. Now, maybe you realize this a long time ago. Maybe I'm just catching up to the game here. But, you know, hotels today, they have parking garages, right? How did people travel back then? Did they travel in a car? No, they rode a donkey. So what, they, what ended up happening is they got stuck in the parking garage. Who were the barn animals that night? They were the donkey of, donkeys of the people who were resting in the, in the inn. 
And you have all these donkeys there, and there they are. Probably even that stable was crowded with all the donkeys that belonged to the people that were sleeping. And I can see Joseph coming in and moving the donkeys out of the way and, and clearing a path and probably getting a, a shovel and scooping up uh, 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 the, the eliminating that those donkeys did and laying out some hay for his wife uh, to birth the child. And I know the nativity scenes look all lovely and pretty, but please understand that giving birth is a messy process. Doing so in a barn is even a messier process. Mary must have been miserable that night. You know what's strange about this is that the most important birth that ever took place happened that night, and hundreds if not thousands of people were sleeping within just a few miles, and they never, ever knew that that happened to them. They never knew that that child was born so close to them. Why? Why? Because they were too busy. They were too busy living their lives, doing what they saw as important, and they missed out on the most important birth in the history of mankind. Now, let me make it personal. How about you? There have been times in my life where I have been doing so busy doing good, and I have missed out on spending time with the God of all the good that I was doing. To put it this way, I was so busy doing the work of God that I didn't take time to walk with God. I was busy doing right. I was busy serving the Lord. I was busy, if you know the story of Mary and Martha in the Bible, I was busy being Martha in the kitchen, cumbered about with work. But I was not doing the better thing. I was not in the presence of God, on my knees like Mary, spending time and soaking it up. My friend, we can be so busy doing good, taking care of our families, running around life, working jobs, earning paychecks, providing, saving for college tuition for our future of our children. All the good things that you label in your life is good that we miss out on the best. I look back at some times in my life where I got so busy doing good that I ended up being more carnal than I could have ever been because of that. I think back to my days uh, going to Bible college and and I know when I left to go to Bible college, I had this vision that I would walk in and there would be guys sitting there uh, uh, reading their Bible and praying. And uh, there would just be all night revival and prayer meetings. And, you know, there wouldn't be any goofing off or horsing around. They, everyone would be walking with God. And I got there and I found out that while some of that happened in some corners, there's a whole lot of goofing off that happened at Bible college. And I got busy working a job and, and going to classes and serving the Lord in a ministry on the weekends. And I turned around one day my junior year of college and I was more carnal. I was more fleshly. I was more filled with, with, with frustration and sin than I had ever been in my life while going to Bible college. I think back of times in my life where I've been involved in church ministry, working a bus route and, and running a bus ministry and, and, and running this and running that. And I turn around and I'm giving to everybody, but I myself haven't walked with God and I'm empty. I look at the Christmas season. Can we just make it practical for all of you this morning? Some of you here this morning, you're so busy getting ready for the biggest holiday of the year in your mind that your walk with God has struggled. You're so busy with activity that you haven't taken time to honor that baby that was born in that manger so many years ago. Most missed out on Christmas. Why? Because of activity. Number two, response number two, notice, Herod missed out because of anger. Herod missed out because of anger. Turn over to, turn back over to Matthew. Hold your place in Luke 2. Turn back over to Matthew chapter 2 and look with me at verse number 1. We're going to look at uh, uh, several different verses here. I could read you all the way to verse 16, but for time's sake, we're going to uh, read the highlights. Look at verse number 1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen uh, his star in the east and, have, and, and are come to worship him. Now, this is my opinion. Okay, I don't know if there's any way to prove this. But I believe that these wise men came from Babylon. Came from Babylon. Now, why do I believe that? Babylon is west of Jerusalem, so they would have had to travel east to get there. All right? We know that the Israelites were carried away into captivity, and they were in Babylon for 70 years. And we know that several of the kings were either sympathetic toward or completely converted to 
Judaism, we know that Daniel wrote his prophecy about the coming Messiah there in Jerusalem, and that would, or rather in Babylon. That would have been left behind. I believe that probably what happened was that there was a remnant of Judaism that remained in Babylon generation after generation, and some men had very uh, astutely studied Daniel's prophecy and had learned that uh, the Christ child would be born in their generation. They knew the day was coming very soon where he would be born, and the year was coming. And when that star appeared in the sky... They knew exactly what that star meant. And they got on their camels. They got their wealth together. They bought gifts for the king. And they began to march toward Jerusalem. And we, we would, they would have guessed that upon their arrival, everyone would have been celebrating. Surely, if people who live in a pagan land know about the birth of the Messiah, his whole, own home country would know about it. Look down at verse number 7. Then Herod... This is a man in the system of Caesar Augustus, okay? He's part of the Roman government. He's overseeing the Jerusalem sect for the Roman government. Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. Now, I know a lot of politicians are out of touch, but this dude was way out of touch. He didn't even know a star was in the sky. He said, oh, there's a star up there? A different star? Above us in Jerusalem? Well, I didn't know about it. Well, when did it appear? So what does he do? He goes and asks the religious leaders that work for him. He says, uh, what does this star mean and where is this baby supposed to be born? And after he finds out that it's Bethlehem, he, uh, he, asks, uh, he then sends them away to go and find the Christ child. Look down at verse 13. And when they, that's the wise men, were departed... Behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So the wise men had gone, they had found baby Jesus, they had worshipped him, they had given their gifts, and then as they were getting ready to go back to Jerusalem and tell Herod, Hey, we found him, uh, the Lord came to them in a dream and said, Don't go back that way. Go another way. So they left and went a different way. And then Herod, when he saw that they weren't coming back, it really made him upset. Look down at verse 16, and we see, uh, we see here exactly what Herod would do. The Bible says, then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men. Look here. It says, was exceeding wroth. He was exceeding angry. He was wrathful and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. So he uh, he's so angry and he's so worried that the, this baby is going to grow up and overthrow his kingdom that he has every baby in the Bethlehem area, two years old and under, killed. That's awful. That's awful. Now... We could say that he was hateful toward the root of Christianity, right? Very hateful, very angry, uh, very drunk on power and worried that was going to be ripped away from his family heritage. Why are so many people today so hateful toward Christianity? Why are so many people so hateful toward Christianity? Um, I, I, I want to try to answer that question real quick and then move on. I think the answer is simple. It's because they are controlled by hate and the prince of hate. Satan's in charge of this earth for the time being. He hates God. He hates Christians. He hates that you're here this morning. Right? You know, I'm not on some sort of campaign to, uh, to get people to quit believing in the Easter Bunny. I'm just not. I don't hate people that believe in the Easter Bunny. I don't hate the Easter Bunny itself. Now, there are some pagan things that I do hate, but that by itself, I don't hate it, right? If you don't believe in Jesus, then why do you hate him so much? The fact that you hate him proves that you do believe he exists. If you didn't really think he existed, you'd shrug your shoulders and say, well, if people want to believe that, better for them. I don't care, whatever. But there are people who say, oh, I don't believe in Jesus, but I hate you because you do. And I'd say, well, your hatred proves that you do very much believe he exists. 
Uh, try this. The next time you meet someone who's an atheist, if you feel ready to engage them with the gospel, here's always the question I start out with when I'm talking to an atheist. I'll ask them, when did you convert to atheism? And every time I've ever asked an atheist that question, which has been many, they always give me an answer. And I say to them, so if you converted from atheism, that means you weren't born that way. Don't you find that interesting, that everyone's born believing in God? And you had to convert to atheism? You had to convert to a system that says that God isn't real? Now, for Herod, it was all about power. He didn't want his kingdom overthrown by some promised revolutionary. For others, it's the fact that there, uh, that there is that if there is a God, then why did he allow so much hurt to happen in their life? And they feel as though God has betrayed them or in some way let them down. By the way, my heart goes out to people like that, that feel that way. They need the love of God shown to them by Christians. And yet, for others, and I believe this is for the majority of people who claim to be atheists, it's because they're living such a sinful lifestyle that they don't like the idea of having to one day face a moral judge for the way that they have lived their life. So what do they do? They dismiss him altogether. And there are groups of atheists, right? Not everyone who's an atheist hates God and and Christians. But there is that group over here, the far extreme. They're doing everything they can to eliminate Christianity, to eliminate uh, uh, Christmas and Christ in Christmas. They don't want to have anything to do with it. And they respond the same way that Harry did. They respond out of anger. Let's move on to number three. And notice the religious missed out because of apathy. Religious missed out because of apathy. Go back to Matthew chapter 2 with me. And uh, let's look at something here. This is very interesting to me. How, um, how the religious crowd, the, the Jewish crowd, would handle the birth of the Messiah. Look at verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east of Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, Art thou Bethlehem in the land of Art thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah? Art not the least among the princes of Judah? For out of uh, out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Now, King Herod, please engage with me here. King Herod had a group of religious leaders, priests, and scribes that worked for him. And when he wanted to know something about the Jewish people he was ruling over from a religious standpoint, he would go to them and they would give him an answer. And so he turned to the chief priests and the scribes, and these men were qualified. In fact, uh, they probably had a good chunk of the Old Testament memorized. Definitely the first five books they would have had memorized. Uh, They knew the Bible inside and out on such a level. They could have taught an upper level seminary uh, course on the Old Testament. Very, very qualified to do that. These men knew the Bible, knew the Old Testament inside and out. And uh, when the wise men uh, uh, were seeking, uh, when the wise men showed up seeking for the Messiah child, Herod knew exactly who to turn to uh, for an answer as to where he was. Now, these religious scribes, when they were asked, they went straight to Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. If you want to turn over there with me, you can. If not, I'm going to read it. And I'll tell you what, do this. While I'm in Micah 5, look, down, look back at Matthew chapter 2 and, uh, and look at verse number 6. Okay? And you'll see how similar they are. Micah 5, 2 says this, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he uh, come forth unto, unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth hath been from of old, from everlasting. Now, this is curious to me. These men had a strong head knowledge of the Old Testament. The whole Judaism religion, even still today, uh, uh, finds its great hope in their coming Messiah. They have rejected Jesus as the Messiah, and uh, Jews today, Orthodox Jews today, are still looking for their coming Messiah. So their whole hope was in the coming of the Messiah. Now, no doubt, they saw the star in the sky. No doubt, they knew Daniel's prophecy, or at least knew of Daniel's prophecy. Uh, They knew uh, that the city, uh, they knew the city where he would be born, 
And then they knew that the wise men were standing in Herod's court, claiming that the Christ child was there. I want to show you a map here. Uh, 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 go ahead and put that up there for me. Here's the trip from Bethlehem uh, to uh, uh, from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. You may not be able to see that real well here, but those cities are still located in, in the same spot. Now remember, they didn't have cars back then, so they would have had to walk or taken a donkey. That was normal for them. They walked everywhere they went. Jesus walked all over Jerusalem and Galilee. And so walking was very normal. It was only an hour and 47 minute walk from the center of Jerusalem to the center of Bethlehem. Now here's my question for the religious leaders. How can you know that wise men are seeking Him? This is your promised Messiah... And you're not going to make the hour and 47 minute trip to find him? What are you doing? That's supposed to be your Messiah. And he, he's born, there's a star in the sky, it fits with the prophecy in Daniel, and, and wise men from the east have come, and they're looking for him, and, and Herod's sending them there. Why aren't you getting up and going with them? You know why? They were apathetic. They shrugged their shoulders and said, whatever. I don't care. Doesn't matter to me if he's there. Leave that up there for me. Um, I'm appalled by that. I am totally blown away that they didn't get up and go look for him themselves. Or at least send somebody to make that trip and find him. Totally blown away by that. It's kind of like the Israelites in the Old Testament as they're wandering around the wilderness. You're reading through that, and you eventually, I know I have, I have vocally said while I was reading my Bible, come on, guys, stop your complaining! Right? And I look at this and I say, how apathetic do you have to be to not go search out the Christ child? And then the Holy Spirit says to me, you can be quite apathetic about your faith sometimes, too. You can get to a place where you aren't really making any changes, or you've stopped growing at the rate that I want you to grow at. You know what? Christians today, we're guilty of the same thing. We have been inundated with the truth, haven't we? We've read our Bible. I'm not going to ask, but I wonder how many... I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I wonder how many of you here have read the Bible through cover to cover. I'd say probably a good, good majority of you, or a lot of you. Some of you have been going to church for years, You've heard thousands of sermons preached. There isn't a passage in the Bible that the preacher could turn to and you wouldn't have notes scribbled somewhere or you wouldn't say, yeah, I've heard a sermon out of that passage or yeah, I've heard that truth preached 50, 100, uh, 1,000 times. And you hear it preached and you know you need to make a change, but you just shrug your shoulders and you say, yeah, eh, not today. I've been to, I've been to um, all-you-can-eat buffets before with poor people. And I've been to all-you-can-eat buffets with rich people. The rich people, you almost have to drag in there, right? And they hold their nose. And they look around and they say, oh, this place is dirty. Oh, this food, the quality isn't very good. Oh, I'm going to be sick after I eat this. Oh. Then you take a homeless man in and feed him. And they feel as though they're in a king's palace. You know what the difference is? It's just perspective. It's perspective. Some people here complain that I preach too long. Can you believe that? What in the world? You know, in Africa, if you, in certain places in Africa, if, if I were to preach a 45 minute sermon, they would say, Is that all you got? And they're standing, they're crammed in there. Can, can, you can't preach for another hour? What's wrong with you? You're, you're a weak-kneed American. I mean, come on. Bring it. We're ready for more. It's all perspective. We hear truth, but we're so full of truth and, and, and from a head knowledge standpoint that we're like the dead. See, we take in and we never give out. And we become apathetic toward it. Yeah, I know the Christ child was born. Yeah, I know Jesus lived. I know He died. I know He rose from the dead. And you almost yawn at that thought. And you've grown apathetic in your faith. The King of Heaven and of all creation left His rich, powerful position and was born to peasant parents in a humble setting. Please hear this. He left His riches in heaven. 
heaven. And He became poor so that you and I could leave behind being poor and become spiritually rich. If that doesn't excite you, if that doesn't motivate you, if that doesn't comfort you, if that doesn't stir your heart with a warm love, if that doesn't make you want to get up and do something for the Lord Jesus Christ, then my friend, you have grown cold and apathetic, just like those religious leaders who knew where Jesus would be born. They knew that He probably had been born, but they didn't get up and do anything with it. Let's not be guilty of that this Christmas season. It's not enough to just give the motions of worshiping the Savior. Boy, we need to follow through and we need to do it. Most missed out because of activity. Herod missed out because of anger. The religious crowd, well, they missed out because of apathy. Let's look at the fourth response and the one we ought to want to copy today. The shepherds came out of adoration. Out of adoration. Look back with me, Luke 2. Let's finish up the sermon with this here. Luke chapter 2 and verse number 8. It says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angels of the Lord came upon them, uh, and, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and They were sore afraid. Now imagine this. You're out in the field with your sheep. Tell them I said hey. You're out in the field uh, with your sheep. And, you know, you've done this years, right? You've got your shepherd buddies. Maybe you've got your flock and your buddies have their flocks and your flocks are kind of intermingling, right? That's what churches do when they get together, right? And uh, they got their flocks out there and And all of a sudden, it's quiet, it's dark, you can see all the stars in the sky, and boom, there's angel right there, glowing. Are you telling me you would be terrified by that? That would be awesome. That would be scary awesome, right? Look at verse 10. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Hey, this isn't just for the Jews. This isn't just for the Israelites. This this news is for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior, which is Christ the Messiah, the Lord, and he shall, and this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, or that used to clean the animals, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel. So it's gone now from one angel to a multitude of angels. Uh, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away, from them in heaven. Did the shepherds do what the religious leaders did when the wise men came? Were they apathetic? Did they just sit on their hands? Or maybe they were too busy watching their sheep and they said, well, you know, we, we've got too much activity going on here. We can't. Or maybe they thought, oh, I hate God. I'm not going to. No, they, they said, hey, man. The Messiah is here. We gotta go see him. It came to pass as the angels had gone away from them into heaven. The shepherds said one to the other, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Notice letter A. They came and saw. They came and saw. I think those will be up there. Yeah, they came and saw. Uh, they were told and they did something with it. Hey, I'm thankful for the day someone came to me and said, let me tell you about Jesus who came to earth and he died on the cross for your sins. He was buried and he rose again and he did that to save your sorry, pathetic, sinful, no good, rotten soul. Hey, I've come and I've seen him. And I want you to come and see him. And there was a day where I went and I knelt at the cross. And in my heart, I didn't see him with my eyes, 
right? But in my heart, I saw Christ high and lifted up. You see, my friend, Jesus wasn't born just to give us a holiday. In fact, His birth isn't the end, it's just the beginning. He came to earth, He lived a perfect life, and He died. There needs to be a point in time in your life where you come and see Him for yourself. I can't do it for you. There isn't a person in this room or in this world that can do it for you. You must personally find yourself to a humbleness of heart and say, I'm a sinner. I recognize my sin and it's wrong before you. I believe and trust in you alone for my salvation. And when you put your faith in Jesus, He'll save you. I have known people who've gone to church their whole life and thought, well, I'm going to heaven because I'm religious. My friend, being religious has never gotten anybody into heaven. My wife could get mad at me and kick me out and make me sleep in the garage. I'm not going to wake up in the morning and be a car. Just because you go to church, that doesn't make you a Christian. Going to church has never gotten anyone to heaven. In fact, do you think that that malefactor that died next to Jesus on the cross, he ever really went to church much? Probably not, right? It wasn't church attendance that got him to heaven. It was that he turned and looked at Jesus and he said, remember me when you enter into that kingdom. I believe in who you claim you are. I believe, Jesus, in what you're doing. And I want you to salvage my soul and take me to heaven. Jesus didn't look back and see any good works, but he saw a believing heart. And he said, today, today, buddy, you're going to be with me in paradise. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. That man did not get to heaven because of church attendance or giving to a church or charitable work or being a good neighbor or being a responsible family person. No, he got to heaven because he believed in Jesus. You need to come and see that for yourself. Those shepherds saw the angelic host praising God and they got up and they they went and they, they worshipped. But they didn't just come and see, they left and shared. They left and shared. Look back with me at at, uh, Luke chapter 2. We'll finish with this thought. Look at verse 16. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, look here, they made known abroad. If you mark in your Bible, let me encourage you to mark those words. They made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. What saying is that? This is the Christ child. By the way, the New Testament word translated Christ and the Old Testament word translated Messiah, they're the same thing. Okay, Messiah in the Old Testament, Christ in the New Testament. They had been told their whole life, a Messiah, a Christ is coming for His people. And the angels stood in the sky and said, Hey, you've been waiting on the Messiah. He's here. He's been born. Here's where you're going to find Him. And they went and saw and they left and they made known abroad this saying, the Messiah is here. And all those that heard it, they wondered at it. They wondered at it. You know, um, occasionally I'll get up here and I'll put a sermon together and I'll talk about the importance of sharing your faith. Take gospel tracts and distribute those, right? Invite your friends and your neighbors and your co-workers to church. And I'll talk about that and I'll find some clever, new clever way of presenting it. But it's an old truth and if you've gone to church here any length of time, you've heard it preached by me. And if you're here during Pastor Pezlake, you heard it preached by him. And if you're here during Pastor Brown, you heard it preached by him. And if you left here and went to another Baptist church, if it's, if it's worth its salt, you'd hear it preached there. But can I tell you something? We shouldn't have to stand up here and tell you to do that. You know, for the shepherds, Joseph didn't have to grab them by the arm and say, now you go tell everyone. The angels didn't have to say, after you've seen that Christ child, you make sure you share that. It was natural for them, wasn't it? They saw their hearts were so overfilled with joy, they had to share. I think of the lady, the woman at the well who trusted Christ there, and she left her water pots behind, forgot about him. And the very natural response was she just went and told, come see a man who has told me all of the things that I've done. And is this not the, the Christ, the Messiah? And it was natural for her to do so. Hey, Christian, this Christmas season, don't just absorb in the gift exchange. 
Uh, don't just uh, take in the commercialization. All of those things in and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with them. But make sure that you don't let those things crowd out the Christ child. You make sure that you worship Christ and then you uh, allow that to overflow your heart and you go and share that with the world around you. If you're here this morning and you haven't yet put your faith and trust in Jesus. Hey, what are you waiting for? You know, the Bible tells us in James, we're not promised tomorrow. Your life is like a vapor, it says. It appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. You say, oh, well, I'm young. I'll live uh, to be in my 70s and 80s. Maybe, but maybe not. Maybe not. And if you live to be 170, you want to take 170, put it on a line graph, and then compare that on a line graph next to eternity? 170 doesn't seem so long anymore, does it? You want to really risk an uncertain death, an untimely death, and an eternity in hell. Say, oh, pastor, I don't believe in hell. Well, do you believe in heaven? Because if you believe in heaven, there has to be a hell. What kind of a country would we be if we never punished wrongdoing? What kind of a God would the God of heaven be if he didn't eternally punish wrongdoing? Today, if you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus, will you do it? For the Christians here today, my question to you is this. How are you responding to the Christ child? Are you full of activity and too busy to worship? Maybe it's time to, to, to reorganize things. Are you angry at God? I hope there's nobody here that way today, but there may be someone watching online. Are you angry today at God? Why don't you set the anger down and try to get to know Him a little bit? Are you apathetic? I think that's one that bites Christians a lot. We just go through the motions and we quit really worshiping God. Or are you adoring like the shepherds? Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. How many here today say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a day and time in my life I I trusted Jesus as my Savior. I'm not going to go to heaven because of anything I've done. I know I can't earn my way to heaven. But I know that Jesus died for me. I've put my faith and trust in Him to save me. When I die, I am 100% certain that I'm going to go to heaven because of my faith in Jesus Christ. If that's you, as you just hold up your hand by way of testimony, don't be ashamed of that, my friend. Romans 10 tells us that we're not to be ashamed of our faith. If you can't raise your hand in church for that, I don't know where else you would testify. If you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're going to heaven, why don't you make today that day? The Bible says, behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Don't wait any longer. God is standing here offering you a free gift. All you've got to do is extend your hand of faith and accept it, knowing that he died for you. He rose from the dead to buy that gift. He's offering it freely. He doesn't want the currency of your good works. He just wants the open hand of your faith. Will you trust in him today? If you're here today and you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus, in just a few moments, Brother Owens is going to be standing down front here and he's going to take the Bible. He can take the Bible and show you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. Is there one here today say, Pastor Lejeune, I don't know that if I die that I'd go to heaven. I'm just not certain of that. If that's you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you wouldn't mind, just slip your hand up and slip it right back down for me. Is there one that way here this morning? How do you say, Pastor, on some level, I'm a mixture of all of those responses. Maybe, maybe not the anger, but the other ones, I can be too busy at times and I can act apathetic at times. But, Pastor, whatever, wherever I am, I know that I could do a better job adoring my Savior. Pastor, would you pray for me that God would help me to better adore the King of kings and Lord of lords? If that's you, would you slip up your hand? Pastor, pray for me. I'd do a better job adoring the Savior. Lord, during this time of invitation, would you move in our hearts? Would you help us, Lord, to commit this year not to just go through the motions of Christmas, but to spend time with you, to love you, to worship you, and then, Lord, to share the good news about you. Lord, help those decisions that are made today to stick and to last in Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. The piano is playing. The altar is open. How about it today, Christian? Will you come and tell the Lord that you're committed to adoring the Savior?